0: They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today.
1: Well, welcome back. I hope you had a fantastic weekend. This is Walt, back for another episode. I've got a guest on the line that I think y'all are going to be really excited to to talk to. I think it'll relate to a lot of y'all and... uh, I think if you follow him on Instagram after this, and you, and you follow closely what he does, he'll make you a better hunter. I've, I know I've enjoyed uh, following his Instagram. I've got Greg Litzinger. Did I get that right?
2: Yeah, that's good. <laughs> also,
1: <laughs> I'm terrible with last names. How you doing, buddy? I'm good. You know, uh, can't complain. How are you? Um, I'm here, and that's half the battle. I'm, I'm. That's right. I'm counting down the days to football season, and then I'll start my countdown then for for uh, bow season thereafter. So I'm just trying to find little tiny increments that doesn't make the the count feel quite as long so well we're we're going to talk about uh, you know kind of how Greg got into into hunting the style of hunting that he does and and uh, share a story or so here uh, but before we do I'd just like to thank our, our title sponsor wild edge incorporated maker of the stepladder it's a phenomenal product if you haven't already gone to their website www.wildedgeinc.com. if you have any questions you, we are always at our phones you can send us a message on facebook or instagram and we'll answer any of your questions but do yourself a favor go check it out and uh if you do running gun uh hunting like i'm going to be doing this this fall and like i think you know greg does as well i think it's a product that you'd, you'd greatly enjoy but uh well greg let's let's kind of get into this how how first first and foremost how was your 2016-17 hunting season
2: was, uh pretty great on the fact that i filled the freezer um and not so great on the mature buck killing, but um, shot three good doe, older does, and had a couple encounters with a couple mature bucks. Just couldn't seal the deal, and I seen more one and a half, two and a half year old bucks than I've ever seen in my entire life. So it, it gives me some hope that few of them might be around next year to uh, you grow a few more inches and hopefully maybe get a crack at them.
1: <laughs> That's awesome, man. I I had a I had a similar season. I just didn't put any meat in the freezer. In fact, uh, one of my my hitless bucks ended up getting away with me with my arrow. I hit his shoulder bone, and he didn't quite. Uh, I didn't oh. get quite. The, he only got about three inches of penetration, and we tracked him a while, and then saw him. So we know he's okay. He's, he'll be out there for next year. But uh, yeah, so it, it was it was. But you know, you you seeing that many big bucks really kind of tells you that you're doing something right. Yeah,
2: yeah, and it's when you get. For me, like I'm at a point where I enjoy, you know, I'll, I'll shoot some older does. I don't shoot younger deer. I have no, no reason to shoot a younger deer unless you know that you know said deer's injured, mm-hmm. busted up. Sure. You know, if a, a small racker comes in, you know, he obviously got hit by a car or something. Then I'm going to do you know what's necessary, you know, to get my you know, get my meat one way or another that way. But for the most part, I enjoy uh, the chess match that is a you know, mature buck. You know, that three and a half and up range, that's, they're my target. You know, around here, that puts us in, you know, the 120 caliber and up. And that's kind of what I'm looking for. So it's it's hard to pass on them you know, solid 110, 115-inch deer. And you're like, I know he's young. You look at him. So it's like, I had a few encounters last year. It's rough. Because <laughs> you're like, mm, just please go away. <laughs> <laughs> Keep on walking, and they're the ones that always like hang out in front of your stand, eating acorns or something. I'm like, dude, come fifteen on. yards, just keep perfectly
1: on. broadside. Yeah,
2: yeah, keep it moving. Got good, good footage of them. I'm like, just keep moving, buddy. Keep it moving. You know?
1: Well, that's that's still good though. Man, I, there's nothing worse than going out there and, and hunting uh, the kind of land that you hunt and and not seeing anything. That's probably got to be the, the far worse than actually seeing them in front of you and being tempted by them.
2: I've had uh one of those three years ago. I seen twelve deer. All year, Ooh. one spike—that was it. And people look, look at my thing like, "Oh, you're you kill all these nice deer, or oh, you know you're always in the right place, right time." Twelve deer all season, and one spike—that was it. Wow. On twenty some sits. So, a season like that was uh, a <laughs> that was a that was a rough one. Like I wasn't even kicking deer walking in and walking out. Like I was. I I, I was, to this day I, I scratch my head like and I don't know what it was, but my bad breath or something. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I felt like I was fifteen trying to talk to girls, you know, <laughs> all by myself.
1: Do you remember back in the early two thousands there was a, a breath n a breath chewing gum, like a scent killing breath chewing gum? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I I didn't <clears throat> I didn't buy any of that, <laughs> but <laughs>
2: Yeah, that one, that and the acorn cruncher.
1: Yeah. You know, that was the one gimmick that I looked at and I thought, okay, I'm too old to be buying this kind of thing, but it, like I couldn't rule it out that it, like, it, I don't think it would have had an adverse effect. I don't think. What do you think? No.
2: no. I mean, and for $5, I mean. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, see, so that's how they we you, man. We buy a cup of coffee for $5. <laughs> Down from four bucks, right? Yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, we kind of teased it here. I said, you know, the, the reference the kind of land that you hunt. Why don't, why don't you kind of give us a, uh, an overview of of where in the U.S. you hunt, uh, the style of hunting, and preferably like exact GPS coordinates that we can we can uh, <laughs> find find your your trimmed up trees.
2: Yeah, uh, I'm pretty much the you know, Jersey boy, born and raised. I hunt all over the state, you know, from the salt marshes up along the bay. Uh, to the bigger woodlots, you know, middle of the state, all the way up to the mountains uh, on the northwest corner. I pretty much, I like to hunt as many different types of terrain as possible. I can I get very bored hunting said salt marshes every day. Yeah, I, li- I like to give it in spurts. Mm-hmm. You know, if I had to hunt salt marsh every day, I'd probably go crazy because it's salt marsh hunt. It's it's fun hunting, but it's lonely, boring hunting. And the mountains, same thing. I love the mountains, but. Five, six days straight hunting in the mountains, you know, an hour and a half, two hour hike sometimes. Yeah, that'll, that gets old real fast. Too.
1: Yeah, sure.
2: I break, I, I break it up. I try and plan my, you know, time off from work, little blocks, some couple days in the mountains, couple days in the salt marsh, couple days in the big woods. Um, just that keeps me optimistic, I guess. And it doesn't allow me to burn out a lot of my spots uh, or areas for that matter. I'm not necessarily known for overhunting a tree once or twice a season, and that's pretty much it. But an area, I mean, I'll, if I got 10 trees in an area and the wind's good, I'll hunt all 10 trees, you know, in you know consecutive days if I got time. And that bear is basically done after that. So I try not to overhunt certain sections because I know the potential of that area, you know, be it food or the rut or, you know, late season bedding, whatever it might be.
1: How far does it take you, or how long does it take you to drive from, say, salt marshes to mountains? Because that seems like it wouldn't be if if both of those in your in your range, it couldn't be too far.
2: Two and a half hours. That's not bad. Nah, Uh, and it's. I mean, I'll buy a PA license from time to time or Delaware if I'm tagged out. But any time I buy a Delaware or PA license because I can hunt either one is if I tag out real early. But that's only happened a few times in my life, (laughs) so. Uh, you know, normally, you know, because I'm an October killer. Uh, October sixth through the twenty sixth is pretty much my time to shine, so to speak. The rut. I'm a terrible rut hunter. I'll see big deer, but seeing and killing it's uh, two different things. I'm primarily, except like a, a a bed hunter. I hunt specific beds, specific times of the year. I kill them. That, you know that dreaded October law. I guess you people call it. But to me, it's a very uh, productive time because the bucks are consistent. Um, they bed in certain areas, they're feeding in certain areas, and then once you know October, you know October twenty eighth, twenty nine hits. Their big boys are on their feet, and they're five miles away, you know, six miles away, and it pretty much becomes a crapshoot. You know, you might be in a funnel, and they might come by you, or they might not. And to me, that's I don't like those odds. I like stacking. The odds in my favor knowing that this buck is bedding in this section of woods you might have three or four beds and i'll hunt you know each one of those beds and hopefully catch them you know sneaking in or sneaking out
1: yeah so do you do you hunt with an eyesight of the bed or are you are you hunting like close to it on a like a uh, a well-worn trail going to the bed
2: i used to be about 100 yards and each every year I, I i pushed the envelope closer and closer because somebody's you know around here the pressure is so high and, and baiting is legal in jersey so these deer, you know, once they reach three and a half, it's pressure, extremely high pressure areas. Three and a half year old buck is like a probably a five or six somewhere else on, on the knowledge stack. Like they're so cautious. They don't make mistakes. And they just don't move much in daylight. So every season, you know, I try and get a little bit closer, you know, five yards closer. If I know a buck like this one uh, that I found a couple of years ago, I got my tree now pretty much. 51 yards from his bed, wow. and um, like pretty much if I get into the tree, I should be able to see him if he's there. But I've hunted that, and I, he always comes in, you know, after dark, the evening sit, and 100 yards, 80, 75, it's just too far away. So that, you know, these deer that are that old, you know, they're they might even be traveling 50, 40 yards of daylight, you know, and a lot of times it's just with an eyesight of that bed, like they're sitting in that bed. They're not going to travel. They might see 50 yards. That's as far as they're going to travel. He knows it's safe up there because he's been watching her all day. He's not going to go 100 yards because he don't know what's back. He's going to wait till dark because he knows it's safe. So it's a, a really aggressive tactic that has it's a high risk, high reward. Uh, usually a high risk, no reward. But <laughs> when, when you get the reward – It's almost like clockwork because you know when he's coming in, you know, like I'm primarily a a better morning hunter. Like I I kill deer coming into their beds, which people find crazy. It just seems to work for me. I mean every one of my deer in the wall except for two, three, have been morning kills. And it's from 7 to 7.30. And these bucks, they'll get within – like I've watched them in the marsh. They'll get within 100 yards in daylight. And sit there and wait. It's like they're almost waiting for people to shift around and do their things before they sneak into a bed. It's it's a weird. It's weird. Um, and the same in the mountains. Like they, they come in seven seven thirty, and I, I try I tell people this, and they look at me like I got sixteen heads. But um, you know I got four or five. You know, film vi- footage of uh, morning kills, and they're all timestamped seven seven thirty. So whatever it is about that time. It doesn't matter where I'm hunting, either in the marsh, the big woods, or the mountains. That seems to be a time that mature deer are still up on their feet in the morning, which goes against a lot of what you're led to believe. Like, you know, bucks are nocturnal. They don't move in the daylight. I, I, don't, I don't know. It's
1: Well, you know, you, you said that people find it crazy that you, you kill more in the morning than the evening. I mean, that doesn't seem crazy to me at all at, f- at first at first thought, my my thinking is you're more it's, it's more likely that you're going to get a shot on a deer as close as you're getting. I mean, you're talking 50 to 100 yards from their beds, like you just said. And if they're already in that bed, I think that kind of makes it difficult. Like you open up the chance if you're coming in there to the stand that afternoon of running mm-hmm. running them out of that bed whereas if you come in the morning at least there's the opportunity that like you said those deer are staging somewhere they haven't quite made it to their bed because obviously they probably feel more comfortable clo- the closer and closer they get to their bed so you're already in there before potentially they come in whereas in the afternoon or or so it kind of makes logical sense that they had it yeah. there's a great chance of them already being there
2: yeah like you know i i look at it you know i I read it like John Eberhart his book that he had go hunting pressure whitetail and he you know hunts some of these rut staging areas and he's in there like three hours before first light and I started adopting that tactic like I'll be out in the woods like two I'll be quiet two hours before like, shooting light just sitting there and I look at like said so I look at it in this way I can beat the deer to his bed he might like I've had him come through at dark and there's nothing you can do about it right, you know but right. I've had them not come through dark, but in the evening, like I said, they don't have to move from their bed in the morning. They want to get to that bed and there's a good chance I can beat them to his bed for the most part. You know I mean? I, I've been set up, you know, three hours, you know, three and a half hours actually on this one buck trying to catch him. Cause I know he was beating me there. So I kept getting there super early and he was so nocturnal, you know, three hours before first light, he's coming into this bed and He would never leave. I would sit all day. He would never leave. He'd get up, mill around, bed back down. He would never leave. You know, he was so wary. He wasn't even a big deer. Maybe he's old or whatever, but he was just so crafty that he would stay on these little islands. Huh. You know, I watched him. I had him come through in the morning and I had him come through at night, like during the rut, like when you think bucks are all running around. Yeah. Nope. This guy was was worried about living. (laughs) So. He's like, you know what? I'd rather live today. You know, she's gonna be there. She'll be there. Don't worry. I want to keep my, uh, you know, keep my blood in my body. I guess.
1: Yeah. He he, like, he likes to keep his own skin. I guess. But yeah,
2: and it's and a lot of stuff that people, you know, read or write. Uh, nothing's really set in stone with deer, especially mature deer. Like some deer are very active in daylight. Some deer aren't. You know, and in some areas requires them to you know do certain things that other areas don't nothing's really set in stone and i I try to tell people all the time don't believe everything that you read believe everything that you see don't necessarily believe everything that you read right that some people like well this he's a biologist he must he wrote it so it's true or this guy's you know he's been hunting 30 years he wrote it must be true no in that case particular case yes but not all the time um I think that's a lot of people put value into situation or uh, knowledge that doesn't help their situation.
1: hmm Well, if you look at a lot of the wildlife re- literature that's out there, I mean, what are the states that you think of as to how it helps you? Kansas, Ohio, yeah. Illinois, Indiana. Well, you know, those are big bucks takes. That information is is incredibly valuable invaluable for people who are, are hunting in those states, but. There, are, you know, of the nine that it helps, there's 41 others that that's probably not going to apply to because the terrain isn't the same. We don't have CRP fields. I used to hunt on the East Coast, uh, like you did, except I did down in Southeast Georgia, and I quickly noticed that hunting out in those marshes, uh, those big, you know, um, Spartina marshes out there where it's, it's soggy and you wouldn't think anyone yeah. anything want to walk. You go out there and there's well-worn trails going a quarter mile out into this open grassy area. Uh, to this one little oak hammock, and you'd go out there, and there'd be beds. And just just before I moved, I caught on to that, um, and you know, school got a little busy, and I was never able, able to capitalize on it. But I think you know, your point is get out there and test it yourself. And if it doesn't if it doesn't yield the same result, then obviously move on and try and to to, to, to defy the odds. Um, yep. You know, I was listening to to a podcast just the other day, and there was a fellow on there, and he goes all over the the Midwest chasing big white tails, and he said. You know, oh, well, you know, everything that you read about how you hunt on the farm, pretty much throw it away when you're hunting public land in Kansas. You know, if you'd, if you'd usually be real care, careful and not be in the middle of the bedding areas, get in the bedding areas because there's a hundred other guys who are all sitting on the outskirts of that bedding area. And if you don't kill that buck, somebody else is. So just go ahead and bust up in there and hang a set a set and see what happens. And the guy's got a freaking trophy room full of big bucks on on public land.
2: A lot of people call, like, my style of hunting aggressive. I mean – to some, it would be aggressive, and to mean, sometimes I do get aggressive. But if you know, like, if you know how deer come in and out of bed, it's not necessarily you're being aggressive. If I know these deer are bedding here and how they're coming in or out, I can come in on side winds, you know, crosswind, set up and get out without ever being detected. It's not aggressive. It's me knowing the terrain, you know, what I can get away with, and that's just through years of of doing it. Um, and like you said, with if you're not aggressive on public land and you're waiting for the perfect wind, the perfect this, you know, or I drive, there's people in the park, like, I'm not hunting there. Well, you know what? Yeah, you're going to be waiting a long time for something <laughs> to work out for you. Public land, if you want it, you better go get it because there's, like you said, a lot of guys that are out there getting it. And some guys, I mean, I, I know guys that are just, you know, they call them lucky, but they don't really know what they're doing. But they stumble through the woods and they'll kick up buck. And they'll set up, and sure enough, that buck comes back because that's the bed he wants to be in for some reason. And he'll loop around, come back an hour later, and that guy's sitting there and kills him. Really? You know, really? I think most people kick a buck up, they get upset.
1: Mm-hmm. You
2: know, guys that are you have know, been hunting for 10, 15 years. But like the newbies, you know, uh, the part-time hunters, you know, they'll, they'll go into a bed in there and not even realize it, set up a stand, blow deer out, and the deer come back. And, you know, most guys, you know, normal guys have been hunting 10 years, they get up, upset and frustrated. You know, sometimes that lack of knowledge, real world knowledge is actually better.
1: Absolutely. Because you don't overthink
2: the situation. You just react. Oh, dear, boom, I'm going to set up. And sure enough, here he comes.
1: <laughs> right. Well, I think honey is something that we just so overthink. I mean, you know, when I used to, I was in the restaurant industry for a while. I trained servers. I didn't want a server that had any other experience anywhere else. Give me the kid straight out of high school that has never held a full-time or part-time job, and I will make him into the best server possible because I had a a specific way of training people, and you came in there with no preconceived concepts of of going into anything. that's kind of doesn't relate except for the fact that whenever we go into hunting, we, we tend to just do the exact same thing over and over again. We don't adapt. I mean, that deer is... His genetic drive is to survive. If he encounters a predator, he's gone. He does something differently. and But we're so used to doing the same thing that we that we see on TV or that we, we, we've done on the farm, but now you're hunting public land and it just doesn't work.
2: Yeah, as lazy. often.
1: As often. Or lazy. <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah. The, well, I don't call it the human race, but hunters, you know, especially white hunters, have become lazy. My dad, you know, I grew up here. You know, my dad was there. They, they had to hunt for food. You know, those new... there's no room for error so to speak Mm -hmm. like you had to kill like or you didn't eat and that's a good motivator if you can apply that mindset to hunting like i tell people that all the time if you stack it you know tell yourself every day if i don't kill mature deer you know my family might starve or i might starve and it's a good motivating factor because it allows you to you know to respond instinctively instead of trying, like you said, trying to overthink the scenario or situation. Oh, if I say, here, do this. Sometimes you just got to wing it and just go for it. Take that chance. Take that risk. And, you know, and a lot of times our intuition is correct. Now how many times you've gone out in the woods and you're like, this is the tree I want to be in. And you're like, nah, you know what, I'm going to go over here. But you know this tree you should be in, but something catches your eye over there and mm-hmm. you go 60 yards the other yeah. way. And then that buck you want goes right by your original tree. Yeah. Like, because you, you you overthink the setup. all the wind shifted. It's uh, or the the sun, or and you can you know think yourself out of a perfect situation. Because your brain's like, no, look at that sign over there, or something's better over there. <laughs> instead of listening to your gut.
1: Yeah. No. I mean, and you know, I one of my favorite ways to hunt, and it, it really boggles people, is on imperfect winds. Now, I'm not saying you want the wind blowing in people's face, but I have seen more. More and more bigger deer, just quantity and just also quality of deer on winds where I'm like, God, should I really stay in the stand? The the trail's coming from the south headed north and the wind's blowing, let's say like northeast, you know, or something where it's blowing kinda of down that trail. That buck's coming gonna probably come up that trail because he can win that field or win that uh creek bottom before he ever gets there, and that wind is kinda of marginal. Matter of fact, my biggest buck to date was was that way. I was about to climb down. I had given it up because, you know, if the wind's blowing in the direction that he's coming from or, you know, it's not perfect. It wasn't blowing in my face and over my back. Uh I need to get down and sure enough here. He comes blowing out the woods with four does, you know. And uh so just you're right, dude. Just not not overthinking things is so important. I've I've been uh an avid follower of yours on on Instagram, as I mentioned earlier, and it's actually, you know, the the tenacity that you have and then the success that you have that's, that's inspired me to uh, go into public land this year. This will be my first year, uh, in Florida, uh, hunting public land. And honestly, it's probably going to be the majority of what I do. I've got 120 acre farm that I split with the landowner and I'm going to probably just leave that be until the rut. And then I'm just mm-hmm. going to, I'm just going to hammer public land because there's so many swamps back in here and places. I think people aren't willing to necessarily go in cause they don't have the the ability to see. So, I'm um, yeah, I'd, I'd recommend it for everybody else to, to, to follow his Instagram and, and listen to him, because this guy, he's got, got stuff figured out. He shifts paradigms.
2: Yeah. <laughs> but speaking of, of what you said about hunting, you know, the right wind, um, I remember, I think it was Miles Keller that I grew up in the golden era. Like, I was lucky, like, fortunate in the, you know, late 80s, early 90s. All the magazines are out there were written by knowledgeable, old-school white people. Right. Guys that, you know, there was no cameras, no nothing. They, you know, there's a reason in the early days not everybody kill big deer. Extremely different. Like now we got you know Google trail cameras, all that stuff. You know, it, it makes you know, the endeavor a lot easier. But I do believe it was Miles Keller said, "You don't hunt the wind that's perfect for you. You hunt the wind that's perfect for the deer." And some of my best spots, you know, mm-hmm. I, I call them. You know, they're pretty much suicidal. Like one little thermal shift or, or wind shift. It's over. But I've killed two deer that the wind, you, people are like, why are you hunting that? I'm like, because the trail just bends a little bit and I'm right on that bend. So he can pretty much get into my shooting lane and he's going to be right where he wins me, right where I can shoot him. And people won't hunt that. But you know what? It worked. You know, it's aggressive and it's, you know, it's kicked me, you know, it's kicked me in the butt a few times, but it's also paid off a few times. And well, 50% is better than no percent.
1: Um, I mean,' and then one of the phrases better to have, to have tried and failed than yeah. to never tried at all, or some you know, you know, get in there and, and do it well while we're talking about public land and we're giving all this advice what what would you say you know, if you had to have one piece of advice of all the wisdom that you have compiled yourself, earned earned on your own, or you've also read from people like Miles Keller and whatnot, what's the one piece of advice that you would pass on to somebody like me or our listeners who are who are taking on public land?
2: Just mm, one, take risk. Roll the dice. You know, um, if you're, like we said earlier, if you're waiting for the perfect opportunity, you know, in hunting or in life, you gonna be waiting a long time. The most successful people are guys that are willing to take a risk, take a chance. If it doesn't work, you know, adapt to, you know, make it work. Sooner or later, you're going to find out where your strength is. Not everybody's a good, you know, bed hunter. Like, I'm a terrible rut hunter. So, like, I work on that every year, and it's flaming disaster. But, <laughs> you know, but take those risks, you know? you know, take those chances, roll the dice, because you never know. Like my first big deer, I killed him in the worst when possible because I knew the farmer. It was a little piece of public. and had soy beans out, and farm up the street. He's every every day. He's you know cutting it uh, cutting it down cutting it down. I knew that little bed. I knew the buck was in there. I shined him a few times going into work. He used to work nights, and I was like, "I got to get in there because he's they're going to cut this bean and that buck's gone." You know. Sure enough, I go through the beans, which you should never do. You know where they're going to be, and the wind's blowing into the beans. I set up my tree, and ten minutes before dark, he comes right out. And like I said earlier, he was directly downwind, and he stopped. As soon As he stopped, I was at full draw, and the arrow went. And he ran 40 yards and died. Done. Now, logical wisdom, like, that's a terrible spot to hunt that, you know, terrible win. I took a chance and risked it. And you know what? I got a, you know, 127-inch deer out of the deal, you know, 197 pounds or something.
1: Jesus, that's a toad.
2: Yeah. Yeah, you know, October 6th, you know, that. You know, and it was, I got a field deer in them. You just take that risk. You know, don't be afraid to make mistakes. Everybody wants everything so perfect. I can't make mistakes. That's the only way you are going to learn. keep making your mistakes and you learn from your mistakes. You're going to get better or you're just going to keep making the same mistake because you don't want to get
1: better.
2: So I don't know
1: <laughs> the definition of insanity, right? Doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different yeah. result.
2: Yeah. But I mean, that's my biggest advice would be take those risks. Take the, you know, go for it. Got nothing to lose.
1: Right everything in the game. I think a lot of people are scared. I think there's a lot of people who are scared to take that leap of faith, man, because you know, again, you go back to today's literature and what do you what do you see if you if you there's there's hundreds of articles of if you spooked that book, what do you do now? You know, it's it's almost like it's a doomsday event instead of just like another event that should happen. And
2: I I have issues with some of the literature that's out. Maybe one day I'll go to learn how to write write my own <laughs> literature, but
1: you need you need a, you need with, a video blog. You know, yeah, it'd be a lot easier. <laughs> but deer
2: that grow up, you know, like the guys with the manicured farms, 1000 acres, they only hunt certain, you know, got their little electric carts to go around. That you bump deer out of there, they're, they're going to leave cuz they're not used to pressure, but like me, the deer I hunt have been born by they're born in, into pressure. That's all they know. They don't know nothing else but pressure. So you can bump them, and they're not really necessarily going to run away to next county because that's all they know. They spent their whole life in this, you know, thousand acre section of swamp or, or mountains. Like, this is pretty much what they know. They're very good at surviving and adapting and avoiding pressure. So, if I go into a bedding area along with a million other people, blow them out, if he still comes back to that bed, why is that? Because good bedding is hard to find. So if you find a great spot where that deer can, you know, bump, you know, get away from danger without ever being in trouble, he's going to keep coming back to that spot. And he might avoid it for a couple weeks, but he's going to eventually come back. So, be aggressive. You know, take those risks because he's not. There's nowhere for him to go. You know, he's on a yo know, salt marsh, especially. You're thousands upon thousands of acres of salt marsh. There's only so many islands in that salt marsh for him to bed. <laughs>
1: right.
2: You know, they just change their, you know, they might, you know, bed on a, a muskrat mound or something, but they're going to come back to their main, you know, their primary bed sooner or later. Right. So don't be afraid to, you know, get a little aggressive and move in on these deer because, he like said, they're used to it. It's normal to them. They're used to human scent, you know, and they're used to people walking around, being noisy,
1: right. You know,
2: bird hunters, all that stuff. So if you're reading literature on, on, not bumping deer from a guy who lives in you know, Illinois on, you know, he's got five thousand acres. It's not going to help you in you know Florida or Michigan, PA, Kentucky or Jersey for that matter. You know, unless you have you know a thousand acres
1: farm. Right. You
2: know, because even five hundred acres, that deer is going off that five hundred acre farm. He's experiencing pressure elsewhere. Mm-hmm. You know, like you can't escape pressure. New Jersey is a high density state. You can't escape pressure. Even on private farms, you know, you got a thousand acres, that deer is going off that farm at some point in time. He's going to experience human pressure. So, you know, pressure is not necessarily a bad thing. That's it's how diamonds are made, you know?
1: <laughs> there you go. It sounds like, it sounds like what we need is some kind of maybe online publication or something for specifically bu- public land hunting, you know, of all sorts. It seems like. There's almost a, a separate niche, you know. I've only been on the Instagram thing and 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 paying attention to, to trends, but it seems like there's a real resurgence for using public lands, and it seems like the tactics that you use there just don't really line up with your farm, which is fine. There's there's a need for both, but I, I almost wonder if somebody's going to start putting out, or maybe I, you, maybe one of us needs to do it. But
2: check out the the hunting beast form Dan Infall. He's that's right up his alley, you know. A lot of my tactics are in line with how he hunts. Yeah, I've learned I learned quite a few things from him. Um, a lot of guys, members in the forum, are knowledgeable. They're pressured public land hunter.
1: Huh, cool. I'm going to check that out. Everybody else, y'all do the same thing. It sounds like that. Yeah, a... Dan
2: Infault and the hunting beast.
1: Oh, man, you know what? I just made the connection. Yep, Dan Infault. I knew that name. Yeah, that dude's a, <laughs> that dude's a slayer when it comes yeah. to, 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 to deer hunting. That dude's...
2: Yeah, and he's... You know, I stumbled upon him by accident, and I said, "Oh, it was primarily a bed hunter." Uh, the old Roger Raglin there in the '90s. Oh yeah, he had a DVD out, you know, invading big buck bedding areas, and I was fascinated by it. And I stumbled upon the hunting beast. I don't even know how on YouTube or something, and I was like, "Wow, there's other people out." Because I used to tell people I hunted, they look at me like, you know, like I'm from another planet, and I'm like. Am I something wrong? Like I felt like <laughs> I was like the eyeball out of, you know, I was, I was not the cool kid in school when I'm like, oh, all right. I'll just go over here by myself. That's cool. <laughs> so uh, I found his site and it was validated a lot of things that, you know, that I was doing. I was in the right path and I tweaked a few setups, you know, and, you know, the rest is, you know, history, so to speak.
1: One of my final questions for you. I didn't. I sent you an itinerary. I didn't put this one on there. Uh. <laughs> I always have to keep something, you know, tucked away. What is the highest high that you felt? What was? What is your crowning achievement on public land to date? I always like hearing people's. You know, I kind of alternate between the ultimate high and the ultimate low. But what? What was like the the point where you really felt like you hit the apex in your 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 public land hunting? And maybe what's the story behind that?
2: Apex would be. And we talked about it earlier that, that, that buck and the beans. That was uh, my first, you know. I mean, I kill a lot of nice deer, but never know, like, big deer. And you know, 127 inches or 25 inches isn't big to some people, but it's big to me. So that deer there, uh, I went three years without killing a buck, just tweaking the setups, you know, shooting does, not seeing the bucks I wanted. That was the first time I actually. Decided to target larger deer, and I scouted all summer, you know winter, spring, doing the glassing at night, shining, and I spotted this buck, and just you know main you know he only he's damn near perfect, <laughs> you know inch wise he's he's only like an inch and seven eighths in deductions, like he's absolutely perfect.
1: Oh man, and,
2: yeah, and that deer there the to elaborate in the story, I actually passed him up on my birthday because he came out, and he came out looking behind him. So early season, normally they send the small ones out first. So if he's, this deer is looking behind him, and he's you know, 10 yards away, and he walks right underneath me, and I'm like, and I'm getting ready for something. You know, this monster, huge, 190-inch deer come out. Here comes this dinker six-pointer. And I'm like, <laughs> you got to be kidding me. I was like, I passed this deer on my birthday, on my birthday. Oh, I'm like, no. And that made me sick. I was nauseous. Like, I didn't go to work the next day. Like, I literally made myself sick. So, you know, fast forward six days, and I hunted that stand in the wrong wind, wrong everything, because I knew that buck was going to be leaving. Oak started dropping everywhere else, and he was just not going to be there. And when he stepped out, you know, I heard that twig snap. I'm sitting in a tree. I literally just grabbed my bow because I knew what it was. I grabbed my bow, and here comes that six-pointer. And which is weird because that six-pointer, he went out and he didn't catch my scent stream. Like I don't know what happened, you know, thermals, or whatever. But he went out and just kind of meandered. He didn't. Ca- I don't know how he didn't catch my scent, which is to this day mind-boggling, because my scent's blown right out into the beans, and he kind of just I don't even know. And then I put the bow down. I'm like, man. And I hear. Shh. I was like, well, I know what this is.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: Grab the bow, you know, and I literally just pull back because that small little opening, because it's still a lot of foliage. And sh- I see the white. And as soon as he went out, he was directly downwind. And the- he just stopped and lifted his head up, and I just let him have it. And <laughs> that was such a relief because, you know, for 19 years, I chased big deer around. You know, I sh- shot some, lost some, but never. Wrap my own you know, hands around the deer that I killed, hundred percent on my own. You know, like nobody helped me, nothing. And to do it in a spot I was getting blown out by everybody. Like I had these deer, you know, it just was the perfect scenario. And that was just such a rewarding feeling, knowing that you know, three years of patience <laughs> pays off. You know, like, and that's another thing when it comes to killing. You know, you want to step your game up you have to not shoot a two and a half if you want to shoot a three and a four or five year old. And that is the hardest thing for people to do. Like I let a lot of deer, it's like, uh, just, you know, you get sick to your stomach cause it's a big, it's a mature deer, but it's not the deer that you have envisioned in your head. And that, that deer there kind of set things into motion. Cause I, all this pressure was off me and it was like, you know, I could breathe again. You know, I was almost like choking myself out with all this, pressure i was putting on myself to get the job done because three years not killing a deer that's hard like not killing a buck that's hard to do you know that requires a lot of patience and that deer you know pretty much changed everything how i approached my scouting you know taking chances and believing that it's going to happen not you know hopefully it's going to happen like that deer i knew where he was bedded I knew it was going to come out. Like, I knew everything about that deer. So all that three years or five years of hard work, basically, you know, and three years not shooting the deer just culminated on that one evening. And, you know, I called my buddies. <laughs> and when I got down, I literally walked three miles out of the way because I'm like, I know i seen him fall, but I'm like, I'm not jumping this deer up. I don't know if I got one <laughs> long, long Like, I literally walking like two miles out of the way, you know. I'm like, I ain't even taking any chances, you know. And it was – I knew he was down, but. You know, the year before I hit one and kicked him up, like I hit a giant and kicked him up. I'm like, now I'll do that. I'll never do that again. If I shoot a giant, I'm going the opposite way. I don't care if I see him fall. Do backflips, nothing. I'm, I'm at, you know, I'll swim across the lake. I don't even care. I am not going anywhere <laughs> near that deer. But that's
0: uh, <laughs> that deer holds, yeah,
2: holds a lot of uh, sentimental value on that because it's you know, hard work does, you know, pay off if you use it, (laughs) if you learn from it, I should say hard work doesn't always pay off. It's hard work mixed with a little bit of smart work. will pay off eventually. You got to stick to your guns.
1: I I don't know if you were, but I swear I could hear a smile on your face just then.
2: Um, but everyone, (laughs) there's so many stories. (laughs) There's, they're they're so personal. And and like, I wish I would have mounted every nice deer I killed. Like I I've, you know, I've killed some nice deer. I killed a couple of nice ones with a gun, with a shotgun. And I wish because the story's there, it, it doesn't necessarily fade away, but it, it loses some of it because you can't look at that deer like I knew. Every one of my deer, I know exactly what time I shot them, what the moon was doing, what the wind was doing. Like forever, it's like ingrained into my brain. And hopefully, you know, as you know, as I get older, I you know keep continue, you know. To, collecting these you know memorials i guess mm-hmm. um i don't call it a treasure <laughs> room it's more of a uh, out of respect
1: yeah yeah no and i'm i'm this i'm in the same boat i've i don't do the shoulder mount deal that's not my my style i do the european mount mm-hmm. to each his own there's no judgment there That just i feel like that kind of honors the beast and, and it's in my own way um but i think what i'm gonna start doing is under each one of those i'm probably gonna print off a small photo of me with the animal and then uh, have some kind of like plaque on that European mount, just kind of commemorating when it happened. Um, yeah, I, I saw somebody on Instagram the other day had a, a laser etched plaque that that had the date, the moon, the sunrise, you know, all, all the temperature, all that. I thought that was really cool. Um, yeah,
2: like, you know, as we get older, you know, our age slips. Like by let you know, 80, 90 Like I keep a I keep a pretty good picture record. You know, I try and keep good records because, you know. That's all, like pictures, you know, when we're gone, all all there's going to be is pictures. You know, video and stuff like that, media, that kind of disappears because, you, you, know, you know, the format changes. But a picture lasts forever, you know, for the most part. You know, so I, I take really good pictures. I don't do the picture with the tongue hanging out. Like I spend a lot of time crafting, trying to get a really good picture, and I put it in an album. You know, so maybe, you know, 100 years, somebody finds these pictures or my kid's kids or whatever it's a good tasteful picture and that's what i want people you know to look at you know, they look at the deer and me you know and it's not a dis-, dis disrespectful picture by any means
1: well i think it's just i think it's important to to honor that animal as much as possible and a, and, and a photo does just that you know it freezes in time you know yep. to where you can completely appreciate it you know there was something you said earlier about you know the luck thing you know you know work really hard is about how hard you work and then if you can mix in a little bit of luck. I'm kind of paraphrasing what you're saying. Je- Thomas Jefferson mm-hmm. said something. I've got this on my next to my monitor here. It says I'm a great believer in luck and I find that the harder that I work, the more I have of it. Yes. And you know, it's one, of, it's true, man. Hunting is one of those things. The more you put into it, the more you're going to get out of it. And if you've gone to every mile you can and you get lucky, it might be the difference between him not picking up on you, moving your hand and him having done so, or being 10 yards to the right. And he slips up that morning and comes in and you've got the shooting lane that you wouldn't have before. So, um, you're right, man. I, I kind of echo, just wanted to echo what you said earlier with, you know, somebody else 200 years ago who felt the same way.
2: Yeah. And, uh, that it's amazing how historians, I guess, or even a lot of their words, you know, and quotes and phrases resonate to this day. And it's crazy because it's a totally different world, you know,
0: yeah.
2: <laughs> but it's still, I guess, you know, basic things don't change. You know, Like, like honey, keep it basic. You know, you can have yeah. all the scent control you want, all the stuff, but nothing trumps deer knowledge. You know, they need food. <laughs> Water and bedding, you know, that's it. You know, it's pretty simple. We choose to complicate it, I think, to a level it don't need to be, you know, strip it down and get real basic. And sometimes that's the best thing to do, you know, get a little primal on it.
1: Get back to fundamentals, man.
2: <laughs> yep. You know, like baseball, fundamentals, football, fundamentals, hockey, everything is fundamentals. Shooting a bow, fundamentals. A new release isn't going to make you a better shooter. A new bow isn't going to make you a better shooter. Solid fundamentals is going to make you a better shooter. You know, we live in an age of consumerism, so it's kind of hard. You know, it's it's hard to sell fun. You
1: know. Yeah, it's it's just you know like what you just said kind of echoed what we touched on earlier, and that is, in everything we do in life, we look at it from a real logical standpoint. Fundamentals, you build on the fundamentals. You you can then add you know, you know specialty moves, I guess, for lack of better yeah. words, or new new tips and tricks. And you know, I learned that the hard way when I went backspin. Um, I thought that if I just picked up a backspin re- uh, release, it makes your groups tighter, yada, yada, yada. Dude, it took me back yes. and, and exposed areas that I was so weak in. It didn't. I didn't even realize how weak I was.
2: Yep. I mean, that's one that I love about target archery. It exposes your true nature as an because arrow don't lie, plain and simple. You know, either on a target or a whitetail, the arrow don't lie. Mm-hmm. It always tells you the truth, and that's, <laughs> no room uh, for ego. <laughs> yep, you know, like, I'm, I mean, I, I shoot extremely well. Um, this season's kind of been up and down, but when I'm on, it's like it's great. Uh, last year was a great season, but I've struggled a little bit this year because I haven't put in the time. You know, you get what you put in. Half ass, <laughs> half ass efforts expect half ass results.
1: Yep, yep. You want an exceptional buck, put in an exceptional effort. I mean, exactly. that's just all there is to it, man. Yep. So, well, Greg, dude, I appreciate you coming on here. I I really hope people, you know, hear this and, and, and listen to what, what's said. And I really hope more than anything, anybody who listened to this goes to your Instagram and hits that follow button because there you go to such a great effort to have a wealth of knowledge up there from different videos and whatnot. And uh, we live in the age of 160 character tweets and you break yeah. down a lot of big concepts in, in 60 seconds. <laughs>
2: That's uh hard to do sometimes.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But uh, you do a great job at it, man. And, and I'm following you. I'm rooting for you. I'll be uh, hoping for the best this fall. But uh, if you'll hang on the line for just a second, I'm going to wrap this up guys. If you liked what you heard, there's a nice little button at the top. it's a subscribe button. Hit that subscribe button, give me a rating, give me some feedback if it's a one star or a five star, I don't care. I just want to know what you thought of the podcast and what I could do better. We're on Instagram, we're on Facebook. If you go there and follow us all the new information that's coming out. we're gonna have a new website coming out here uh, next month which is real exciting and uh, we're gonna have a lot of content up there for y'all and um, if you if you would as well go to Wild Edge Incorporated. Follow their Instagram. He's got some awesome products coming out. If you haven't already listened to that, to our bonus episode that we did three weeks, two weeks ago, uh, get on there and listen to it. He talks about all of his new product line and all the innovative things that he's coming out with, and I really think y'all will benefit from that. Until next time, y'all be good. Shoot
0: straight.